Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the Southern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome back to Venture in the South. Today, we're going to talk on our show about a controversial subject uh, that has a lot of opinion and debate, but no clear answers. And that subject is follow-on round investing. For those of you that are new to the angel investing space, I'll just give you a quick intro to what that means. And then we'll dig into some of the different opinions about what the right strategies are around that. So follow-on round investing means investing in the rounds of funding that companies raise after they've already raised money from you. So I might, as an angel investor, invest in the company's first round of funding. Let's call it their pre-seed round. Uh, They take that money, they go execute, and they either do well or they don't. But pretty much in either scenario, they're going to come back and raise some more money from somebody else possibly from me and possibly from other people. And those subsequent round of funding are called the follow-on rounds. That would be a seed round, a series A round, or going further along the life cycle of the company into later stage venture capital. And one of the big questions for an angel investor is what do you do about those follow-on rounds? Do you invest in them again or not? Um, And that's a question that you each as angels have to try to figure out your, your answers to. The first question is, well, can I even do that? Um, and the good news is if you are an equity investor in a early round, you probably have what are called pro rata rights, which means you have the right to continue to invest a certain amount of money in later rounds of funding that that company does. At Venture South, we include that in our term sheet. It's in the standard venture capital term sheet you know, playbook. Um, we at least want to have the option to do that in later rounds. So we make sure it is in there and uh, then we can decide whether to exercise that option or not. Um, it's not compulsory. You don't have to put in your pro rata, um, which means put in more money in a later round. But having the opportunity to do that might be attractive to you um, later on in the life cycle of the company. There are two pretty much diametrically opposing schools of thought here. One one group says you would be an idiot to do angel investing without follow-on rounds and even more stupid to have those rounds and not exercise your right in them. And then other people would say there is no advantage in investing again later in a company at, generally speaking, a higher valuation. You had your chance in the pre-seed round. That's the best time to invest in a company. Don't follow on and you'll do better if you don't. So those are obviously our irreconcilable uh, positions, uh, and it's up for you to decide which which camp you fall into. So, David, which of those two camps are you a uh, standard bearer of? Well, I would make the case that they're not irreconcilable differences. That you can you can divide the baby, and uh, what I mean by that is that in in my view. When you have a follow-on opportunity, it warrants the same sort of diligence you do originally when you decide to or not to invest in a company. And the reason I say that is because things change over time. So the exit profile becomes more clear, more visibility on that. Um, The capital intensity, the, the strength of the team, the strength of product market fit, all of these things are more apparent a year and a half later or two years later from your initial investment when you're considering a follow-on investment. And so it's an opportunity to gain more insight, more information, and better understand the prospects of the company. Again, we're looking for a 10x return, realizing we're not going to get that most of the time, but that's what we're looking for. 
And so I look at these follow-ons as an opportunity to invest in those that are doing really well and have great prospects and, and just letting it ride on those that maybe not doing as well and not as great a prospect. That was a nuanced and sophisticated answer. So we'll dig into some of those things. Um, I was hoping for the, the Twitter kind of response there, but we'll go with we'll go with a sensible answer. Um, so you evaluate each follow-on round as sort of a standalone investment opportunity, right? right. Um, and you apply your same 10x goal return to that round. Pretty much, yeah. You don't say this is now a later stage company. I I feel more confident in knowing about it because I have these materials. Things are clearer now than they were two years ago when I first invested. So therefore, my target return is 4x or 8x, not 10. Yeah. You don't say that. So it's I would say it's a little more nuanced than that because one of the big issues is capital intensity. So when you get into these follow-on rounds, maybe it's a B round or a C round or even later, um, you have to think about where is this going to end? What is the exit profile for this company? And if it's an exit profile that is going to be, you know, round nine and it's going to be maybe an IPO or worse, a SPAC, um, I think long and hard about those because uh, as an angel investor, I don't think we have a lot of advantages playing in that sandbox where, you have a very capital intensive business. You have, uh, you know, hundred million dollar rounds or greater. Um, that, that's just not that. My experience has not been good in that in that arena. And I don't I don't think that leverages the advantages of small startup investments. So I'm more interested in an exit profile that oh we're going to raise one more round and then we're going to exit. Uh, so I like to hear that. That's that's a compelling argument for investing in a follow-on round. And if the fundamentals support that, so they have a customer uh, profile and they have a revenue profile that supports that, and they've they've reached uh, a lot of their potential. Obviously, not all their potential, but a lot of their potential. So you can convert that potential into valuation for an acquisition. To me, that's the ideal type of follow-on. Got it. So you set some parameters around what kinds of follow-ons you're willing to do, but generally speaking, are open to doing that. Um, yes. Uh, you know, pending diligence. That, yeah. That's a sensible position to be in. Um, I, I have to tell you, there's some bad news for you that even with that sophisticated approach to it, um, it's still not clear that you will make money on your follow-on rounds. Um, the, the, there's actually quite a lot of data on follow-on rounds, and it's somewhat um, conflicting and generally speaking, not very good. So take all of this with a grain of salt. But there was a pretty good academic study um, uh, a few years ago that looked at the outcomes of companies that raised follow-on rounds and companies that didn't. Uh, and the investors in those deals, how they performed, uh, what kind of net DPI they got um, in, in those deals. And that study said, um, angel investors that invested in follow-on rounds failed at about a rate of 30% more than the ones that the, the companies they invested in that didn't raise a follow-on round. So if they didn't raise a follow-on round, uh, the angel investor lost money about 40% of the time. If they did raise a follow-on round, the angel investor lost money about 70% of the time in their data set. So it's a pretty compelling argument for not doing companies that raise follow-on rounds. You don't know at the beginning whether a company's going to raise follow-on rounds, but if you were in the follow-on rounds, you lost money you know, at a higher rate. So that's the bad news. Academics would tell you that um, you probably don't want to do follow-on rounds. Uh, 
the good news is other people would disagree with that and they can point to track records where they are more successful in follow-on rounds. So there was another angel group recently that published some data around their experience and they had overall a 5x higher return on deals where there were follow-on rounds that they invested in than situations where there were either follow-on rounds that they passed on or there were no follow-on rounds. So again, quite a lot of difference in the other direction on that one. Um, so the data is not very good and not crystal clear, um, but there's certainly some skepticism um, about the ability to um, to make money through follow-on rounds. So well, I I'll think, throw that on the table for you to respond to. Yeah, I think honestly, this illustrates the reason why people like me and I, probably you are attracted to investing in startups because there's not a clear answer. And, and we think that with insight, we can get an edge, an advantage. And that's what I believe. And so, you know, I understand there may be some academic studies that, that say the contrary, but um, I don't put a lot of stock in those because um, of a couple of reasons. One is the numbers are generally not big. And also there's not a lot of granularity in there in terms of is this a spray and pray approach um, where you're just investing in every follow on that comes along or are you redoing your diligence and and selecting a subset of follow ons? And so um, I'm skeptical of that, just like, you know, in medicine, about half of what's published is useless um, and and maybe even wrong. So I think that goes for all academic literature because the incentives are to publish, not to increase knowledge. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southern startups. The fund allows quarterly investment with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, go to rollingsouth.vc. Welcome back to Venture in the South. We're going to elaborate on some of the topics we've discovered, we've discussed so far on follow-on round strategies uh, as we move through the rest of today's show. Um, I'll start this segment by telling you that at Venture South, we have invested in pretty much every single follow-on round that our portfolio companies have had. Um, I don't, can't remember the exact percentage, but it's certainly in the 90% of the of the rounds that are available. So as an index that sort of puts money in based on the um, opinions and commitments of our members, um, we are in the position of having invested in pretty much everything that's come along as a follow-on round. Now, that doesn't mean every single investor that was in the first round participated in the second round, uh, or even that the same investors participated in the second round. Uh, so that does muddy the picture a little bit. Um, but at Venture South, we, we follow on a lot. And based on our data so far, uh, we cannot really tell whether that's a good strategy or not. There's no material difference between the outcomes for investors so far on companies that raised follow-on rounds and didn't. Um, so that's something that we will learn as we as we continue forward. Well, see, uh, that could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you if you invest in everything that you invest in, then why would you not get the same result? Uh, it definitely can be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, the companies don't raise money on a follow-on round because they can't and therefore they fail. Or they do raise money because they can and therefore they're successful. Um, that definitely... They, they kind of trend with each other, yeah. Um, and that does make this whole analysis more, more difficult to do. It does, though, um, offer one potential way to think about angel investing on follow-on rounds, and that's to ask the question, what are you trying to do? Um, and most of our investments in 
you know, almost all of the members of Venture South are investing through Venture South to make money, not necessarily to be you know, good citizens uh, or to help support the local economy. They look at those as beneficial ancillary results of angel investing, but it's not their primary motivation for doing it. Um, but if that is your primary motivation for doing it, then you have to invest in follow-on rounds. Part of the part of your goal is to be helpful and do good, and that means investing in follow-on rounds. So if that's your your philosophy to angel investing, you're going to do follow-on rounds. I think, generally speaking. Um, but if make money is your main criteria, then as David articulated earlier, you need to do um, uh, your diligence again. One area of interesting sort of research or thinking, though, is to try to figure out what extra biases you have now you're doing diligence on a company you know well relative to ones you don't know well, which is what you're doing at the beginning of your um, your um you're investing in a company. And so uh, there are a couple of sort of well-known cognitive biases around decision-making that you probably have as an individual that you don't necessarily know you're doing. And so here, one as an example is humans are loss-averse. So that means we're more likely to try to avoid a loss than we are to try to get a win in a given situation. And so when you think about applying that to a follow-on round, um, are you less likely to invest in a follow-on round because you are being overly loss-averse rather than genuinely sort of objective in your analysis or not? And I've got no idea if I can even figure out a way to test that. Um, but I suspect some of the times I'm investing in a follow-on round because I'm loss-averse. I don't want to see my earlier comp- my earlier investment disappear Um than I might be, or the other way around, that I'm less likely to invest in a company because I'm sort of marginally more concerned about it and more loss-averse means I'd avoid it than perhaps would have done at the beginning. Um, that's one one bias that um, affects the way that, that people evaluate, even doing the diligence that you mentioned, David, to you know dig in again and try to reevaluate and see if things you know are trending well or not at the price tag that this new round comes with. Um, we may be blinded more on the follow-on round because of what we know and what we've experienced than we would have been at the beginning. So I wonder if that jives with what you what you've experienced. Well, I think it I, I think it's a real thing. So selection bias, absolutely, we're all guilty of that, and we have to strive to avoid that. And and the main way that you can minimize that is to be objective, and so to have specific criteria that are that are quantitative, so numerical, that tell you. Uh, is this good or maybe not so good or bad? I mean, basically the good, bad, and ugly grading system. Um, and so I try to go with the good and avoid the bad and the ugly. Um, and and typically it can be as simple as applying numbers like, okay, what's been your year-over-year revenue growth? And what's the stability of your team? So is your team that's running the show now the same as the team that was running the show two years ago? that accounted for your results up to now. Um, is, is your customer um, happy? So are you meeting the customer metrics that make sense for your industry in a consistent, maybe in a improving way? So further corroborating product market fit, because you, know, you can get initial product market fit and it ends up being a false signal. So you have to be careful about that. And you have to look at that product market fit again, when you're looking at a a follow-on round. Um, so I think if you if you're objective and you try to reduce it down to numbers, you can you can reduce the bias 
Uh, you can't eliminate it, but you can reduce it. Okay, got it. Um, you mentioned in your original answer to your approach that it's basically case by case. So you are looking each time at a new follow-on round uh, and trying to do your evaluation. Um, that's a lot of work. Yes. Um, do you really spend as much time on diligence on those follow-on rounds as you did in the original evaluation of the company? No, I don't. And and that's that's a fair criticism. Uh, so typically, it's going to be like 30 minutes to an hour. And I'm going to look at all this information that I just described and and try to get a sense of, of where they are now versus where they should be relative to what the plan was. And has the plan changed? Has there been a pivot? Are things better than what we expected? Those kinds of things. And, and I think I can get a feel for that in half an hour to an hour of analysis. Uh, it's not perfect. And sometimes you can't get this information. I mean, I, I run into this fairly frequently where it's such a hot deal that the timeline is short and, uh, you know, we're not leading the deal. Somebody else is leading the deal and the founders are basically dictating the terms and the timeline for closing the, the round. And so you have to make a decision in short order. I tend to not do those kinds of rounds because I feel that when you have time pressure being exerted by the founder, it's more often not good than it is good. Um, so yeah. I tend I tend not to respond to that. Uh, but I have. I have to admit that I have in the past, in past been excited by a follow-on round, wasn't able to get all the diligence information I wanted, but I nevertheless invested because the gut feeling was to go with it. It wasn't intended to be a criticism of uh, of your investing uh, technique. Uh, it's just a reality that um, there are so many follow-on rounds and the time frame does tend to be compressed on those because you typically are following somebody else's lead. So you don't have the lead time to do the work. Um, and so that might be one of the reasons that follow-on rounds are less successful because the diligence on them is not as thorough um, and you don't have the time to do it that right. you might you might do on an earlier round. Or the founders may be less willing to share. Uh, they might, yeah. Um, I guess the flip side of that might be if the, uh, if the entrepreneur has been providing you with good updates along the way, you don't need to have full diligence materials because you already have them or at least you have your evaluation of some of those things already done because you've been following their quarterly yeah. reports and you know that management team very well. Um, so that might be a um, uh, something in the plus column for going for a for follow-on rounds on companies that, that report well. Yeah, the, the, the flip side of that is that those companies that don't report well, that is a red flag yeah. in my view. Right. I mean, there are some clear situations where you just do not want to be a follow-on round investor. If the CEO is clearly not doing a good job, not reporting to you. There are enough red flags there to come to a quick no. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, one other scenario that's an interesting one to consider is the sort of bridge round to an exit. So companies haven't done well. They need a bit more money to see if there's some value here to get this thing bought. Is that a round scenario that you would immediately say no to? No, I think I would consider it like a follow-on round with a couple of caveats. Typically, the bridge rounds are going to be notes. Uh, and so the biggest thing is, okay, if you just need a bridge, then the maturation on this note should be like six months or 12 months, not yep. three years. Yep. And so I just recently had that curveball thrown at me where somebody was – uh, billing their raise as a bridge note and the the maturation date was three years and like going well how is that a bridge you know if it's three years yep. um that just doesn't make sense and so i think that uh, bridges can be very profitable because 
one thing you have to realize is typically the bridge investors are going to be at the top of the of the stack in terms of dispersing assets from an exit. So they get their returns first. And if it's not a great exit, that can still be good for the bridge note investors or the bridge investors. So again, I take it on a case by case basis, but I wouldn't rule it out out of hand as okay. a bridge note because it does make sense in some situations. Got it. Um, that is, I think, more flexible than some investors are. So um, I think angels typically will be more receptive to that kind of um, situation because they don't have the constraints of a venture capital fund structure around them, which mm-hmm. requires the capital that they deploy to you know, have the opportunity to make a 10x. Whereas there might be situations in an angel deal where you'll happily take a 1.25x in three months or six months. Right. And a VC just that doesn't fit their model. Right. So that's one area where it may be advantageous to have angels on your cap table who are willing to do that kind of thing because uh, large investors perhaps aren't. Um, and this this whole topic actually is one that um, you need to be careful about who is telling you what the right strategy is. Um, Follow on rounds for VCs are evaluated differently than we might evaluate them as angel investors. Um, and particularly, uh, there's a lot of material out there about what uh, investors in VC funds expect VCs to do. Uh, they expect them to reserve some money to double down on what appear to be their winners, whereas angels might do that, but the expectation isn't that, that we do that and we're not beholden to anybody else to have to do that, whereas VCs perhaps are. So again, another thing to think about when you're trying to evaluate this for yourself is other people with strong opinions about this subject may not be in the same position you are about um, about what the right strategy is for follow-on rounds for them. Yeah. Well, one other thing to mention in terms of follow-on rounds is that I think this is a avenue for SPVs that makes sense where you have particularly compelling follow-on investment that shows all the favorable uh, metrics that you would like to see in investment and um, you have you have pro rata rights and those pro rata rights are worth something and you can convert that into value in an SPV where you can offer this to your investors. And so I think there is a role for follow on SPVs and maybe even a follow on fund um, that that just focuses on the pro rata rights from your original portfolio with the idea you're you're bringing the funnel down from all investments to the ones that have performed the best. Thank you, David. I like episodes where we know nothing more at the end of it than we knew at the beginning and we haven't (laughs) solved any world problems, but hopefully that was a useful discussion so people can evaluate their own approach to early stage uh, follow-on rounds. If you have any thoughts for us uh, in the Venture in the South podcast, any feedback, uh, we'd love to have your review uh, and please feel free to email any of us, uh, david at rollingsouth.vc or paul at venturesouth.vc. We'd love to continue the discussion with you offline. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows. Contact us if you have any comments or requests.